This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Welcome again to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name is Mark Vance. I'm lead pastor here at Cornerstone. And in the next couple podcasts, we're going to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. I recently had the privilege to go and teach for a morning on the work of the Holy Spirit, and in particular, spiritual gifts for a wonderful church in the Des Moines area, Sailorville Church. It's actually the church where I got my first opportunity to do full-time pastoral ministry, and I just love Pat Nimmers, Abe Miller, the whole team there at Sailorville. It was an incredible privilege to be with them. And what I thought I'd do for a couple sessions here on the podcast is just kind of distill down a full morning worth of content on the Holy Spirit to two just fast podcasts. The reason I want to do this is because I just sense so much confusion often in Christians and so much more heat than light, you know, where the ministry of the Spirit, instead of being this wonderful good news for the church, often becomes a subject of just kind of confusion and controversy. So my hope is to do two podcasts. The first one, I'm going to try to lay down a basic theology of the Holy Spirit and His work, and then tackle right head on how do I see the operation of miraculous gifts in the world today, what we could call the charismatic gifts? The second podcast, I want to get really practical. If the Bible says that God has given his people gifts, how do you figure out um, what your gifts are and how are you supposed to use those in the world? So without further ado, let's dive in and figure out what does the ministry of the Spirit look like today? And in particular, what about the miraculous work of the Spirit? So foundationally, we need to begin by just emphasizing this. The Holy Spirit of God is a person, not a power. He is a he, not an it. The Holy Spirit is God to be worshiped and to be adored. God exists eternally in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each person being fully God, and yet there is only one God. That is the mysterious doctrine of the Trinity in short form. And the teaching on the Trinity is so foundational because it reminds us that the Holy Spirit is not just a power, but a person to be worshipped. And right now, the central ministry of the Holy Spirit of God is in conjunction with Father and Son. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is sent to be God with us. He is the promised comforter that Jesus speaks of in the book of John. He's the one who bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And he is, as Paul talks about him in Romans chapter 8, one of, one of the key passages, by the way, Romans 8, is critical to understand the ministry of the Spirit. Paul says of, of the believers there, Romans 8, 9, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, note that, he says the Spirit lives in you, but then right after that, he says Christ lives in. How does Christ live in you? Well, he lives in you by the Spirit. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is giving life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, note that phrase again, lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal body to life through his Spirit who lives in you. So for every person born again of the Spirit of God, we are now indwelt with the living presence of God by his Spirit. He lives in you. 
Theologian Wayne Grudem has said then, what we see is the spirit at work in the world today in several key ways. And in his great uh, systematic theology, Grudem kind of summarizes the work of the spirit in five kind of key areas. He says, first, the spirit is active in saving. John 3 5 to 8 says that those who come to know God in Christ are born of the Spirit. He's active in saving. Second, he's active in purifying. That actually holiness is a product of the work of the Spirit of God within, a cooperative work of God and man, where the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5 speaks of that are born. Thirdly, the Spirit of God is revealing he, his foundational work of revealing is the work that he did in revealing to the authors of Scripture, the Scripture they would be writing, this divine human enterprise where men were led along by the Holy Spirit, as it second, says in Second Peter 1. But even today, God is revealing to the individual believer, not that which is Scripture, but that which is his leading to us as we walk in the Spirit. He is, Romans 8.16, testifying to our spirit. Always this internal word that echoes back to the truth of the external word of Scripture. Fourth ministry, saving, purifying, revealing. He is unifying. The Holy Spirit creates the church and unifies it. There's one spirit that we're to work within for the bond of peace in the church. And then fifthly, the spirit in this age is empowering. The Holy Spirit gives power for gospel witness. Acts 1.8, you'll be my witnesses when the Spirit comes on you. He's on thus, uh, those of us in the church. But then, particularly for what we'll focus on the rest of our time, the Spirit empowers the people of God for spiritual service. He gives gifts. There are four major lists of the gifts that we find in the New Testament. We will walk through those in our next episode, but just to list them off, you find them in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 7. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11, and 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Broadly speaking, you can say that as we look at the ministry of the Spirit, you have kind of speaking gifts, let those who speak speak the words that God supplies, and serving gifts, let those who serve serve in the strength that Jesus gives. The Spirit is empowering God's people. Today, every believer has at least one spiritual gift given by God to be used in love of others to serve the body of Christ. So there are two kind of questions that people have regarding the gifts of the Spirit that come up then. One is, as we read through the lists of what God provides in his gifts, there are certain gifts that are clearly in the more miraculous category, gifts of healing, gifts of uh, special tongues, gifts of extreme knowledge, what are we to make of those? Are they in operation today? That's a big question that people ask. The second one is, as we look at the gifts of the Spirit, how do I know what my gifts are? If God gives a gift to everyone, that's great, but what if I don't know what my gift is? So the rest of this podcast, we're going to deal with the first question. What about the miraculous gifts for today? And then the next podcast, we'll talk about where. how do you find your own personal gifts? On the miraculous, or someone called the sign gifts, the re revelatory gifts, the charismatic gifts is another way to put it. How do people see that? Well, I think you got five major ways that Christians see this today. I'm going to summarize them very quickly. The first way is what we could call the cessationist viewpoint. This does not mean the ministry of the Holy Spirit ceased. The Holy Spirit's still active. Cessationists say that. But th that there's particular gifts that were essential for the founding of the church in the apostolic age that have ceased 
today. Cessationist. Now, doesn't mean the Holy Spirit ceased, but he has ceased to operate in those more miraculous gifts that were used as signs, proofs of the validity of the ministry of the early church and in the founding of the canon of Scripture. The second viewpoint is what they would, we would call open but cautious. Uh, maybe some people call this their charismatics, but they wear a seatbelt. Uh, John Piper would fall in this category, Matt Chandler. Uh, third wave is the third option. A third wave is referring to, particularly to a sort of reformed charismatic reading of the gifts. Theologian Wayne Grudem, Sam Storms, they believe in the full operation of the gifts, but third wave believers tend to be very cautious about the way in which they go about that, very careful uh, biblically. The fourth major uh, category of those who see the miraculous gifts for today would be the Pentecostal movement, also associated with um, the Assemblies of God churches. Um, and in, in these, the distinctive there is that many in this category would see that the operation of the Spirit is connected particularly to a second blessing that happens at or after uh, salvation and is deeply connected to the presence of the gift of tongues. Um, that's especially true when we look at the Assemblies of God denominations. Um, Gordon Fee is probably the best theologian in the, the movement, probably the one that people will know the best. And then the, the fifth option is what I would call a charismaniacs. And that's not a true operation of the gifts of spirit. These are charlatans. These are people who, in the name of the Spirit of God, are ripping off people. And um, they need to be called out as false teachers um, to be... Unfortunately, honest, many, many people that you see on cable TV or who get a lot of press fall into this charismaniac category. I recently read an article about a pastor who in Colorado who said the Holy Spirit of God told him to get into Bitcoin, and then he ripped people off for over a million dollars. That's not something of the Spirit of God. That's a, of the Spirit of the age. That's wickedness. So those are the five major ways that people walk this through. And I just want to stress, all four of the first that I named, the, care, the cessationist, the open but cautious, the third wave, or the Pentecostal, these are all, all people who would affirm the basic creeds of Christianity. They're within the boundaries of Nicene Christianity. They're, these are Orthodox Christians. And actually, if, if we were to look globally, much of the just skyrocketing global rise in, techni- in uh, Christianity, particularly throughout the global south, is connected to the charismatic movement, where God is working in just clear, real, demonstrable ways. Praise his name. Now, where do I land on that list? Well, um, oh, this is hard. I- I'm probably and mostly in the open but cautious category. And the reason that I say that, um, maybe I tend a little bit more open is based on how I read 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. And so what I want to do is walk through those chapters, less my view and more what those chapters teach, to help guide us in how we see the gifts of the Spirit, particularly the more miraculous gifts operating. And it's critical to say this because 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, in particular, what it does is uses the gift of tongues as a case study. In fact, nearly every New Testament mention of tongues, the vast majority of them happen within these three chapters, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 14. Okay, so why is that? Well, it's because the church at Corinth was an incredibly gifted but also incredibly divided church. Paul says uh, when he writes them, they lacked no spiritual gift. 
This is probably the most gifted of any church in the New Testament. But there were major controversies inside the church at Corinth, and one of them was over what the nature of the ministry of the Spirit looked like. I'll summarize it this way to say the core controversy, it seems, at the church at Corinth was that there were groups of people who said, I know how you can tell that somebody is really spiritual, and the answer is they have the extraordinary miraculous gifts. In particular, the Corinthian church seems almost obsessed with the gift of tongues. This ability to speak in a language that is unknown to the speaker. And what they did, it's almost like they created a sort of two levels to Christianity. You know, you had like the varsity squad and the JV team. And the varsity squad were people who were powerful spiritually, and they could speak in tongues. They could do miraculous gifts. But the rest of the JV team, well, you know, I guess Jesus loved them, but they weren't really spiritual, quote unquote. So really, I'm going to say this, the core question behind... 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14 is what does a truly spiritual person look like? What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit of God? That's the central question. Now, as I get briefly into an analysis of those three chapters, I want to say this at the outset. If you really want the best analysis of this, Don Carson wrote a book years ago called Showing the Spirit, where he carefully goes through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Again, Don Carson, Showing the Spirit. It is the best evangelical work, I think, on the ministry of the Spirit. And I've drawn on it over and over again. So I'm going to use that. That's kind of the theological framework that I'm building on in my mind here. So chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the big idea here, I'm going to walk through these three chapters. Big idea of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The Spirit gives diverse gifts to every person in the body of Christ, but he gives the diverse gifts so the church can be unified. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning verse 8, says, To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. You notice the emphasis by the one Spirit, but the diverse gift. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of languages. To another, the interpretation of languages. Don Carson in his book says this, God loves diversity so much so, someone remarked he sends a snowstorm and makes every flake different. The church is to be like an orchestra, each part making its own unique contribution to a symphonic harmony. God establishes his brand of harmony by a lavish granting of highly diverse gifts each of which contributes to the music of the body as a whole. The emphasis in 1 Corinthians 12 is that there is one body, but many parts. Diverse gifts given to every person in the body, so the church is truly unified. And in light of that central question the Corinthian church was asking, who is truly spiritual, Paul's answer in 1 Corinthians 12 is there's no one particular gift that defines a person as truly spiritual or spirit-fed. Rather, when the Spirit is at work, we don't see one gift lifted above the others. We see the diverse gifts working together in unity to exalt Christ and to love others. So sometimes I hear people ask the question, you know, is this a Spirit-filled church that I'm part of? And what they're really saying is, is this a church that has an emphasis on tongues and on the miraculous? And I think that notion of spiritual filling 
would have been deeply foreign to Paul or to the New Testament people. They would have said, what do you mean by a spirit-filled church? Are they the diverse gifts of the body being exercised? Is Jesus being exalted to the glory of God the Father? The ministry of the Spirit is to spotlight Christ, not to spotlight himself or the gifts. So often when we're looking for a spirit-filled church, we're actually looking for the presence of something that would maybe highlight you know, the miraculous, but might not itself give deep insight into the ministry of the Spirit. Okay, let's move to chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. There's another important insight. Chapter 13, the key theme here is that without love, the gifts are worthless, no matter how powerful they are in their exercise. 1 Corinthians 12.31 says, I desire the greater gifts, and I'll show you an even better way. If I speak human or angelic languages, but don't have love. I'm a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, by the way, just pause here, that's exactly what the Corinthian church said was truly spiritual. Oh, that's what you want. You want to have all mysteries and all knowledge. But if I don't have love, I am nothing. And if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. You can have out of this world incredible gifts, but if you don't have love, that gift is worthless. Note, this is careful, and it's important. It's not a devaluing of the gift or the ministry of the Spirit. It's simply a recognition that love is given by the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit can't be used apart from the fruit of the Spirit if they're to be used to the glory of God. Now, you need to be careful here, though, because many people reading only 1 Corinthians 13 have reached the conclusion that it doesn't really matter to have tongues, prophecies, miracles, etc. Get rid of all those. Love's all what matters. And if you only think that, you've missed terribly Paul's point because listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So chapter 12 states to us, the Spirit gives diverse gifts to everyone in the body so the church can be unified. Chapter 13 says it's love that brings this unity because without love, a selfless focus on other powerful gifts are worthless. Chapter 14 puts those two foundational observations together and says, pursue love and desire gifts. And when you desire those gifts, what chapter 14 makes clear is when the church gets together, the gifts that God gives are to be used selflessly, not selfishly, not just to build myself up, not just to exercise my personal spirituality, but to build up the body as a whole. Paul says it this way. He says in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 4, for the person who wants to speak in tongues builds himself up, himself up. Why? You're speaking in this private prayer language that only God knows. Well, the other person listening in, they don't understand it unless there's an interpreter. So you're only building yourself up, but the one who prophesies, the one who speaks God's word in a powerful way to others is gathered, they build up the whole church. But then Paul says something interesting. He says, I wish that all of you spoke in tongues. That's a good thing, right? I wish all of you spoke in tongues, but even more so that you prophesied. So here's what I think we can learn from 1 Corinthians 14. Paul never forbids the use of tongues 
he says explicitly here, he wishes more people were able to speak in tongues. And in Paul's mind here, it seems fairly clear that tongues are different from what we see in Acts chapter 2. If you want, carefully read 1 Corinthians 14, but my conclusion looking at it is this is some, some sort of most likely a private prayer language. That as you pray in that tongue to God, you feel deeply known and loved by the Father. It's almost like a special way of speaking between you and a dearly loved Father. But while you are built up by it, those hearing it aren't. In contrast, prophecy, which is not just, by the way, knowing the future, but powerfully speaking a word from God to someone else. Sometimes that may happen in preaching. Many times, I just spoke to a woman yesterday at Cornerstone whose heart was just moved. To, like, I have a word from God for the person sitting next to me. I think that is exactly what God is doing here. And Paul says, yeah, I wish that you spoke in tongues. That would help you personally. But if you have a word that you can speak from God to others, that's even more potent. It's what we should desire, and it's what we should put prominence on. Paul strictly regulates and even strictly limits the way that a supposed miraculous gift of tongues would be used, but he lifts up the way the more understandable gift of prophecy could be used. Again, it's important. He does not forbid the gifts. Don't despise the gifts. He actually tells you to go for them. You should pursue them, but you need to pursue them in love and with order. Simply the practice of the miraculous, that's not what Paul's after. He's after restraint. He's after order. So when the Spirit of God is really moving, when people are really Spirit-filled, what you see is chapter 12, a diverse set of gifts that bring unity. Chapter 13, powerful gifts, but are actually exercise selflessly and in love. And in chapter 14, a use of gifts that is done with order and selflessness so that everyone is built up. So I'm going to give two kind of concluding summary applications. J.D. Greer, I'm taking these from his book, Jesus Continued, which is, by the way, a wonderful book on the ministry of the Spirit. He says, you know, there are kind of maybe two tendencies. People who are, want to obey the Spirit, but maybe might neglect the Word. Others who would obey the word of God but may neglect the spirit. I want to start with my what I call my more spirit-led friends. And I think 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 and wisdom would say, you need to be more interested in walking according to what you know from the Bible than you are interested in chasing after a miraculous spiritual experience. I want to read a quote here from Gordon Fee, himself a great Pentecostal theologian who writes, the presence of the Spirit in power and gifts makes it easy for God's people to consider the power and gifts as the evidence of the Spirit's real presence. Not so in Paul. The ultimate criteria for the Spirit's activity is exalting Jesus as Lord. Whatever takes away from that, even if it is a legitimate expression of the gift, begins to move away from Christ to a more pagan fascination with spiritual activity is an end in itself. I read that quote because that is from the most prominent Pentecostal theologian I know. He's saying, beware of a tendency to want to pursue crazy spiritual experiences and then say the Holy Spirit did that. People can say they're doing all sorts of silly things in the name of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes they're just doing silly things. All of that can feel to me, honestly, guys, a bit like running, sprinting through a forest at night. It's scary, but it's a bad idea. You run through a forest at night, you're going to end up most likely one of two things, decapitated or unconscious, but in either case, it wasn't wise. 
and many people pursuing the extraordinary evidences of the Spirit's work just should slow down and walk to let the Word of God be a lamp to their feet, a light to their path. So to my more Spirit-led friends, let the Word of God define and drive how you pursue the work of the Spirit of God. But the second exhortation that we close with is really aimed at me. Guys, I really don't mess up all that often in my life abusing the miraculous gifts. The biggest miss in my life is that I lack prayer and I don't seek the work of the Spirit at all. And my greatest fear for Cornerstone is not honestly that people will abuse the gifts of the Spirit, but that for many of us, we never see His work because we aren't open to it. Paul tells the first Corinthian, the church in Corinth, to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. And often I think I put Paul's words into a box and I end up with a Christianity that I can totally understand and totally predict that's comfortable to me, but often absent of the work of the Spirit. And that would be a tragedy. If on the backs of good, solid theology, we neglect the ministry of the Spirit, he can become in that sense what Francis Chan once called him, the forgotten God. So I don't want you to throw out good theology. I don't want you to throw out knowing and reading your Bible. I just want us to long for more. Isn't that what we all want? More of a sense of God's presence, more of a realization of the glory of the cross, more brokenness over our sin. That's what the Spirit would bring. And so, if that means God would give us tongues, I pray regularly for that. God hasn't given that gift, but he told me to seek the Spirit. He told me to desire the greater gifts, and He, if he would give that to me, oh, I would love that, because the great need I have is for more of God. That's the great need all of us have, and the Holy Spirit is God with us. So maybe what would be an application for all of us to this might not so much be to simply seek the miraculous gifts, but to pray. Prayer is the way we connect to the power of the Spirit of God. It's the way we express our need for God. And so for all of us who desperately want to see God at work in our lives and see more of God, I cannot think of a better closing exhortation than to say this. Why don't you commit yourself to praying? to asking God for a greater sense of his presence, a greater work in your life through his spirit.